Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the Secret Service's most wanted list, spent some time in prison, And since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the type of people like I used to be. And not only is it a new year, you have both of your favorite podcast hosts back on the same podcast. I'm so excited about that, Brett. Yay! (laughs) Welcome back to the United States. (laughs) Well, it has been a a whirlwind of traveling lately. Yeah. I mean, more for you than me. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your trip to Turkey? Because I know you got to meet some really awesome speakers and people. And I'm just glad you got to see a little bit of the surroundings. Because when you went to Greece, you barely got to see the water. And that was just from your hotel. <laughs> that that was it. That was it. So Turkey, I, I got this invite to keynote the Shield 18 conference over in Istanbul, Turkey. Of course, I'd never been to Turkey, not even when I was a criminal. So I, I readily accepted that. Went over there and I got to meet some outstanding people, not only the the conference organizers, but I met Chris Roberts. He's the gentleman who hacked into the United Airplane. Uh, met Benjamin Gelpi, the guy who, who created this program called Mimikatz, which is able to capture all these passwords, basically every password around he, he can get. Met one of the top 100 CISOs on the planet, uh, Giant Baloo. Just outstanding, completely outstanding people. The, the conference itself, they had to set up the hotel as a converted Ottoman palace right on the Bosphorus. So we were there. The conference itself is right next door in another palace. So it was it was absolutely amazing. The food, wonderful. The people outstanding. Before I went over there, I didn't tell you this before, but before I went over there, I was kind of joking. And I was like, I told, uh, told my buddy Aaron Sherman and all these other people, I was like, you know, what I need to do is I need to get a saw and stand out in front of the Saudi embassy and take a selfie with it. Brett Johnson. That's almost as bad as when you told me that you were going to Turkey and it was just like a week or two after the journalist and all that stuff had happened. And I think in all caps, I wrote, do not go to the Saudi embassy. Like I was worried for your safety. So you gave me the idea. really hard not to, oh, great, to blame it on me. We tried really (laughs) hard not to be political on this, but I think our listeners will appreciate yeah. your, your yeah. humor of a really, really, really bad situation. Well, I, I decided, needless to say, I decided against that. But uh, the, Because the you're back people. and you're in one piece. Yeah. So because I'm back and I'm one, in one piece. Didn't but, go through uh, that. I appreciate that. Yeah, the, the Turkish people were amazing. Just everyone there. I mean, I came home and I told my wife, I was like, hey, I'm ready to move to Istanbul now. <laughs> of course, I, I understand now that the, the traffic, horrible. It oh. took 70 minutes to go two miles. So that was, that was part of the problem. I'm also told that once you get out of the major city areas, that things get very different as far as religion and everything like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I met some religious people and they were, they were wonderful. I I, I absolutely love the Muslim people overall as Mm -hmm. well, but just, just a great trip overall. I'm so glad. And you also got to meet, um, did you talk about Chris Roberts a little bit more about how he hacked into the United Airplane? <laughs> sure. So so Chris Roberts is a pen tester. He's he's a well-known uh, white hat hacker. I mean, he's just, just an outstanding person. His uh, One of his big claims to fame 
is he was on a United plane, hacked into the plane, because basically a plane now is just a big data center. So it's very easy. If they don't have security, it's very easy to get in there. And he was illustrating how airlines, specifically planes, simply don't have any security. So uh, he may have, I'm not saying he did, but he may have caused the plane to fly sideways at one point. But uh, as, as soon as he does it, he tweets about it. And of course, you know, the airlines call in, the feds and everything else. And then he, it's not illegal what he did. He was just illustrating that it was, you know, the, the problems with security on airlines. As a result of that, of course, he's banned for life from Delta, from United, from a few other airlines as well. So getting, for him traveling anywhere by plane becomes a huge issue all of a sudden. So I met him, just an amazing, an absolutely amazing character. So he gave a 25-minute speech. He had 67 slides for a 25-minute speech. And I sat there and I was like, (laughs) we were talking about about it the night before. I can't believe he got through them all. Oh yeah, we were were talking about the night before and he mentioned that. And I was like, dude, I have to see how you're going to handle that many slides Mm -hmm. in that that short amount of time. But he did. I I, I use slides as a milestone or as a pointer but it's almost with Chris that his slides are telling a different story as he's talking as well. And it, it, it syncs up great. I mean, it really is an outstanding presentation that he gave. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I'm, I was, I was quite, quite impressed with him. <laughs> I got to hang out with him for about three days. So I was, uh, I was very fortunate to, to get to know him and everything else. Well, it sounds like you guys just all kind of bonded on similar topics and it sure is nice. You know, you and I know this, it sure is nice to have people in our lives that we can kind of ping to talk about, stuff that we know, right? Because our spouses get bored and God bless them for listening, but (laughs) they don't always understand or they can't, you can't really bounce stuff off. So it's nice that you guys all are not only either towed the line between good and bad or have actually broken the law in your case or but I think at the end of the day and and currently you guys all really have a passion for education and sometimes that means pulling the fire alarm and in the case of Chris, like having to demonstrate... I mean, I would like to think that there was another way to do that and show the vulnerabilities on airplanes. You know, I think that the intent was for education purposes, not to be nefarious because he wouldn't have tweeted about it and he wouldn't have told everyone about it otherwise. Exactly. Uh, and uh, he's done the same thing with, with the railroad industry. He's done the, the exact same thing. Uh, so when he was there in Turkey, he was showing how easy it was to access the ships that were actually going by on the Bosporus there. I, I saw mean, it's, that. Uh, it's, and that's the thing is most people think, oh, you know, that thing's, all that stuff is very secure. No, no, no. Just the opposite. And uh, he's very good about showing people, mm-hmm. you know, this is what can be done. This is the ease of which it can be done. Don't they call fishing like trawlers? So in my brain, yes. I was like, oh, he's trolling the trawlers. Um, oh, yeah. And, he, and you know, he wasn't fishing away these guys. He is, on this podcast uh, every day, but... Nope. <laughs> But but Chris has a uh, has a really high degree of uh, technical skill. Yeah, he's a good social engineer, but he's also got this uh, this technical skill. Plus, he's got the mindset that is not really uh, it, it's not common in a lot of white hat hackers. It's hmm. uh, you know a lot of white hats can, tend to think of their job as a nine to five job, and they don't worry about it. they don't have that that type of almost criminal a- attitude toward what they're doing. But Chris has that mindset that is, that is so important to be, a, you know, an effective hacker or pen tester or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I definitely recommend following him on LinkedIn if you guys don't already. I mean, even though fraud and security are very different, I think in a Venn diagram, there's some overlap. And I, I think he 
I've already learned some stuff and I've just been following him since you got back from Turkey. So a couple weeks. Mm. So yeah, I mean, he definitely has a little bit of that similar attitude that I recognize in you <laughs> kind of like a little, maybe, I don't know if rough around the edges is the right way, but just kind of like, you know, middle finger to the, to the man ish kind of thing. Well, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly with me, I still have that. Yeah. Right. True. Right. But I mean, in different ways. And I think, like I said, the intent is there for education purposes. It's just more, you know, kind of stirring the pot a little bit, but maybe not so you bring home to mom or bring home to your boss, but still somebody you can definitely listen to. And and that's like nothing to do with it's more like attitude. And I haven't met the guy, so I could be totally off base. But I think that he's extremely brilliant. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's good. I know we could talk about because you met some other awesome people too. Well, you know what? You you've got a story to tell too. It just happened yesterday. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I swear the more you and I like become friends, but also like our networks grow and, and people, the podcast grows and everything else. I feel like my life and my days have just become more and more random. Well, those streams are starting to cross. Yeah, Something like that. Yeah. So you called me yesterday. I was driving to go have lunch actually with somebody, a Seattle retailer, you know, head of fraud and payments. And I'm almost to the freeway and I get this phone call from Brett and it says, so do you know anyone at Twitter? I'm like, well, yeah, a few people. It turns out that one of your contacts had contacted you because they were, I, I think they're personal friends. I thought originally it was through their work, but they are personal friends with Jose Conseco, who played baseball in the 80s and is pretty well. Very famous. I know when I was in elementary school, I know I'm young, but, and so, you know, he's also been on reality shows and all kinds of stuff since then. He had his account taken over and he wasn't able to regain access via one-time password or two-factor authentication because his phone number had since changed and that happens quite a bit. And so he tried to contact customer support and he found them less than helpful. And for the sake of not throwing any company under the bus, it Yesterday was the Friday after Christmas, so everybody kind of had a skeleton crew, and we know that. So I hope that there is another way of handling that other times, but um, he just wasn't getting his account back through proper channels, and he has almost half a million followers, and there were some other extenuating circumstances that led it to some concerns that we had about wanting to make sure he had control back. So that I want to make sure that we keep off the airwaves, but <laughs> there were other things there. So anyway, I like given the circumstances. I reach out to people on via LinkedIn and actually I just got an, I kind of covered my bases with everyone I knew that worked there. I just got a message like 20 minutes ago when you and I were talking before recording from one of them saying, oh, I'll look into it. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's all taken care of. And then I even <laughs> went because I wasn't sure who was working on the Friday after Christmas. I even went onto my LinkedIn and say, hey, hey, who do you guys know? And so a lot of the people that are connected with me on LinkedIn really helped as well and gave me even more names than I needed. But right. shout out to the head of safety operations. I don't want to say his name, but he really came in and you know asked for some information and some verification and all that. I now have screenshots from Jose Canseco's cell phone. <laughs> you were more than willing to give me a cell phone number. And I'm like, I don't know why I'd need to talk to him. Like, <laughs> and I know other people would be like, sure. But I was like, I'm not the one, you know, turning on his account. I just know people. And so by last night, there was a lot of back and forth between Twitter and the person that, you know, knew him and he was on the golf course. It was crazy. But so, so day, I know, I know. I know now what your superpower is if you're a superhero. Yep. I know what it is. <laughs> it is Carice Hendrick gets shit done. 
I try. I try. My my husband, like I had texted him like, so in random Carice land, I'm helping Jose Canseco get his Twitter account back. And my husband now is like, oh, okay. Like that's not too abnormal for it. Like he just doesn't get surprised anymore. I get home and he goes, now how in the hell do you know that guy? Like, how are you? How did that happen? And I told him your contact or somebody that saw you, I think at a conference or speak, or you came to their co- company to speak and you struck up a friendship there is friends with him or knows of him through other stuff. And he contacted them because he knew that they knew fraud. They contacted you. You contacted me. I contacted Twitter. Like it was this <laughs> game of telephone. And my husband Leaf looks at me and goes, man, you're kind of the Kevin Bacon of fraud. <laughs> and, you know, here's the deal is that if, uh, you know, when I was talking on the last podcast, I did you know, by myself about the importance of a network. I think that this story right. just illustrates that, that like I didn't have any superpowers to like get, you know, turn on anyone's Twitter account, but I know people that do. And I, <laughs> I think that the ultra, the extra layer on that isn't just that I know them. It's that I would like to think that I've helped them over the years or that I have a good reputation and they're willing to take my email and act on it, you know, right. and that I, right. I hope that they also know that anytime they need something from me, I'll drop everything and do it for them. I definitely have had to pick and choose what favors I do over the last few months, just because if I were doing all of this kind of stuff, I would never have time to make money for my family (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff for free that people are happy to have you do. You know, I'm happy that I could help and, you know, restore justice. I I should just give you a list of like the celebrities that I'd be happy to help. And then that way, you know, like if Bradley Cooper ever needs anything reset, you just I'm your girl. Oh, really? To come oh, really? <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do there, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go out and find a Tremors t-shirt because oh, I picture Kevin Bacon in a Tremors movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last night you're like, which Kevin Bacon? Tremors or, or Footloose? And I was like, maybe he doesn't know the phrase seven degrees from Kevin Bacon. Like, I was so... <laughs> oh, I know it. I just like... Tremors. <laughs> I, so I wasn't allowed to watch movies my entire childhood. I mean, or watch TV or celebrate Christmas for that matter. But that is a whole other therapy right. session. But I, so I don't really know a lot of 80s trivia at all or movies. So I, I had to Google, right. I had to tremors. Google Tremors. Like, so I, I now know what it is. Oh. And Leaf said something about a giant worm, but I Googled it. That's right. I was like, oh. Best film ever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> question your judgment. <laughs> I usually watch it at least twice wow. a year. Then again, you're a big movie guy, so that makes sense. You're like all the way the movie. <laughs> I think I'll watch it today just to celebrate oh, you. Gee, thanks. <laughs> well, that's definitely better than people who say that they watch Silence of the Lambs in my honor. Oh, really? Well, oh, Clary's Carries. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My best friend's mom got our wedding invitation. And like, I know my best friend for like over a decade at that point. And she called my best friend and said, Clarice spelled her name wrong on her wedding invitation. <laughs> because all of my friends back home have called me Clarice since the movie came out. And I was like, did you explain to Judy that my real name is not Clarice? <laughs> Quid pro quo. <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy have you watched something else other than that one. <laughs> but wrapping up that uh, very random story, um, I guess I can add that to my bucket list because it certainly wasn't on it before. I guess I would say that the takeaway and the moral of the story is just how important it is to have a network. 
Um, I know I've said this a bunch before, but I really feel like I'm only as good as the value of my network and not just like who I know, but having the reputation of being willing to help people, even if, you know, there's nothing in return at the moment really helps when something like this comes up. And I don't like to use the superpower too often because I know people will stop answering my emails if I do, (laughs) but you know, it's important. And I just know so many merchants who have forged relationships like with companies that are auction sites online or secondhand, you know, marketplaces that sell their products. And that relationship can then help them take those postings off or those kind of things. So not just looking at it as what's in it for me, but building that relationship and that network over the last several years has just been insanely helpful to me and obviously to other people too, even the rich and famous, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would, uh, I would agree with you that that a network makes all the difference in the world and the type of relationship you've established with those people is, Mm -hmm. is just amazing. It really is. Well, you're doing that too. And I'm, I'm proud of you for that. And I'm thankful I was able to use my network to get you started at the beginning too. You did. You absolutely did. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But, and that's super important to me. I'm more about how can I use my network for other people than I am for myself, which is probably one of my own resolutions. We look into 2019 is just, you know, really building my consultancy even more. I've been super lucky to have lots of clients and by word of mouth, but I need to do better about bragging about that stuff online and doing some marketing and updating my website and stuff. Cause I think I, I do feel more comfortable using my network and my connections for other people than, than for myself. <laughs> well, you certainly have to get used to doing it for yourself too. No doubt. Right. And you know, this week is 2019 week. We're changing into a new year. I know it's crazy, isn't it? There's some, <laughs> some parts of me that feel like, like this year's gone by really fast and others that feel like it's gone by really, really slow. <laughs> but in a great way. I mean, it's been a great year for both of us. So we certainly can't complain and we're grateful, but moving into 2019, we thought it'd be good to provide some resolutions. And I should say, I kind of battled with this a few years ago because I felt like the word resolution or just the the practice of doing resolutions for me was easy to break (laughs) after a couple of weeks. So I try to change the word to intentions. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, that might be the Seattle in me showing, but you know, just like what's my intention for the year of 2019? Well, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, considering I've been told once or twice in my life that that's where I'm headed, we might as well just keep on going there. Have more and more intentions. (laughs) I'll host the hot tub party. No, I'm purely joking. Sorry to anyone who's religious. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of, we both had some resolutions slash intentions that we thought would be good for you guys as fraud managers or people in the fraud prevention industry to really think about. Mine are always going to be pretty merchant focused, but I think it's good for everyone, whether you're a vendor or a merchant or whatever your role is in the ecosystem to kind of be thinking along this way. I agree. So, so do you want to start or you want me to? Yeah, I can start. I mean, I probably have a longer list. Well, we can list take a turn about yeah. if you want to do it. Why don't we just take a turn? Yeah, that sounds good. And we probably have okay. similar ones in some ways. So the first one I would say is set up the right KPIs and metrics. Uh-huh. The first question I can hear everyone say is like, what are the right KPIs and metrics? And that's going to be another episode uh, in hopefully January, February at the latest. And I've actually been talking to pretty big merchant who is willing to talk about that as well. So I think that could be helpful, but really starting the year off with what do we want to measure, whether it's our false positives, you know, how are we going to measure that or our chart? What we noticed in the um, CMP fraud operation survey that I did in 2018 was that 
most fraud departments are focusing solely on chargebacks. And that's really important to find out your lost fraud and missed fraud and all that so you can, you know, correct it and find and stop those in the beginning. But that also then puts the focus of your analysts on fraud and that's going to probably raise your false positives up. So finding that balance, I would say that a good place to look is the CMP fraud operations survey because there are a lot of metrics there that I wrote out and suggestions and things like that and asking people what they measure, but just setting it off so that the year is consistent and also so you can track your progress and anytime there's a dip, I just think that that's super important. I like it. I like it a lot. So time for mine. Sure. Yeah. All right. My uh, my thing is, is why don't we just all load up and kill all the anti-fraud and security vendors around? Right, Johnson. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe not all of them. And I say that. Here's why I say that. <laughs> you mean, okay. You're going to have to clarify because that's- Here, Here's why I say that. It, it seems to me that we've got a whole lot of security vendors and anti-fraud vendors who basically sell nothing but snake oil. Sense of security. False sense of security. security, false sense of security. So the reason I say, that, and I don't really mean we need to kill them, but 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 people need to realize that a lot of these vendors that they sign up for, what they're promising is basically they're just delivering to make you feel safer. They're not really delivering an actual product that does any good. And here's the thing. There is no silver bullet. There is no silver bullet for security or fraud. And one vendor is not going to be able to take care of every single thing. Right. So it, it takes a mix of everything. So I, I just want people to realize that when they're, when they're out on the floor looking at all the vendors or they're getting calls from a vendor or anything else to sit back and say, okay, what part of this spiel that he, that he or she is giving me is potentially snake oil. What are they promising and what can they actually deliver? That's what we need to sit back and look at and then go from there. So you're not saying that they're all bad at all. No, they're not all bad. Um, but you're also not saying, but it's more <laughs> just, I actually, I think that that goes hand in hand with one of the ones that I wrote down, but I think that mine's probably, you know, framed a little nicer. Less um, violent. <laughs> a, little, a little less violent and controversial. Um, <laughs> mine, I wrote out, assess your current providers. Um, That's almost the same. It is. <laughs> but I think that like from my perspective, I think it's really good every year to sit down as you're looking at your KPIs and your metrics to say, is this the right vendor for what our problems are now? It was probably right. the right vendor for two years ago. Is this right, the right vendor now? And I should say that, you know, we both firmly believe and we work with several great providers who are in the space and we know that this ecosystem is really important and we wouldn't be able to do what we can do without them. But it is important to say, hey, are you still addressing this particular issue that I'm having this year? Or Absolutely. were you really good last year? Or are you not evolving or are you evolving? Looking at the fees and the pricing, because you might have had different volume when you signed up with them than you do now. And just looking at all of it, I think it's really important to consider RFPing your, I don't know if that's supposed to be you know, an ING, but I call it RFPing as like a verb, but <laughs> doing your RFPs every two years or so on not just your fraud providers, but your payments as well, just because things change and pricing can be more competitive as years go by. You could need different things and really focus on the fact that not all fraud providers are going to help you with today's problems, right? No, absolutely not. And part of that is is to understand where your company fits. I mean, where where is your company going to be targeted? Because right. if you talk about that a lot in the yeah, first you know, say if you're selling those gift cards, great. Right. You know, if you're if you're selling gift cards, you don't have to worry about a an attacker or a fraudster using a, a shipping address that's different than the billing address. Hmm. So mm -hmm. why would you go out and get a product that deals with that? 
So it's all about understanding where the threat is for your specific company, product, or service. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and also layering, right? Because layering, as you said, no silver bullet. So making sure that you have a few layers. I mean, kind of the textbook layers would be a case management system. I think if you listen to our podcast before, you definitely know that these days we think that real-time machine learning systems are probably the best for today's fraud. But if you have pretty simple fraud that's physical goods and all that, then you can get away with rules-based. That's not a problem. Some kind of case management system for scoring and that takes in all the data, both from your system and their system and the payment message and all that stuff and aggregates it for a score. And then also usually it's some form of public records data or verification that that cardholder lives at that address or the email address is valid or has been seen in other places. A lot of times device ID is really helpful as a layer or some providers have that incorporated. Those are kind of the base level, but then if you have specific issues or like if you are into gift cards, things like that, maybe looking at behavior biometrics as an extra layer if you have high volume. So there's different ways you can layer, but I think that that's super important. And it's just really good to reassess things every year, especially every two years, but really looking at, is this still helping us? Because I see a lot of people and I think what you're getting at too is just people are really loyal to the provider that they've had for many years. And that's great from like a people perspective, but are they really doing the best for you? Because I hear from people that are like, oh my gosh, I really need to lower our manual review rates and and our false positive rate. But they've been on the same provider for 10 years. Well, maybe it's time to look at the provider and not just, you know, what can I do process wise? Well, that also brings us into the whole thing of, you know, uh, many merchants and retailers, they've never had a fraud provider at all. Then they get one. That fraud provider does a minimum <laughs> amount of work. And they think because they've never had anybody else, they think, oh, wow, this, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, you know what? It's not. It's not. I feel like I've said this It's before. just the first fraud provider you've ever signed <laughs> on with. That I, I've, I've said this many times before because I you see have. it so much. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, oh. So, I mean, hit it. Yeah, I mean, don't be right. afraid just because right. they're, they're stopping some amount of fraud. Don't be afraid to shop around. That's that's the entire idea of, of, right. of good economics. You know, find the best provider that fits your company. Find a provider well, that you can easily so much. Right. Absolutely. Right. Somebody might have been great five years ago, but now they're not hitting it. And it may not be anything you can do other than changing processors. There might not be anything internally. I and mean, we're speaking from experience because we work with so many merchants. So we're certainly not trying to like pick on vendors or anything. I think that this is actually healthy. And like you said, it's economics. What I do know is that there's a lot of companies that say, well, you just got a new provider three, four or five years ago. Why do we need another one? Because they think that they're all the same. Right. And then the takeaway I would say is help your other you know, cross-functional teams and the teams that weigh in on those decisions understand that not all fraud providers are created equal and they're not all for the same verticals. So you know, a provider that works great for a retailer may not work the best for online gaming or digital gift cards. And that's okay. I'm just grateful that we have so many options, honestly, because when I first started, there was only one option and it really <laughs> didn't work for the business model I had for handbag rentals, but, and it, and it's still around and there's a lot of companies on it and it hasn't made much changes since. So see, that's a problem. That yeah, is a problem. Yeah. And I see it a lot. But that doesn't mean that those guys don't work for some companies. They do. But we have so many. I mean, every year I go to CMP Expo and see the Expo Hall with all the different options. It's like one-stop shopping. I'm just blown away. But to your original point, I think that we have definitely seen almost not too many companies come through. But whenever there's an emerging industry, there are going to be some companies that may not have as much value as others. And it's just important. 
Yeah, yeah. Or or maybe it's nickel to you, but it's valuable to someone else. Right. Um, but really looking at that and paying attention. And I think that some people get attached to the personal people, you know, the relationships. And I, I'm queen of personal relationship. And I understand the value, but I've seen a couple of companies stay with a fraud provider because they like the sales rep or they like their account manager, but they know that it's not doing the best for their business and they're losing a lot of money. And in my opinion, you still have that friendship without If you have to be a client in order to be that person's friend, that person mm-hmm. is not your friend. <laughs> That's a good, well, I do think though, in a way it's more of a case of, I know that they'll answer my question when I call and I don't know if I go to a new <laughs> place, if they will too. I think that's more it, right? Or I think it's probably a mix. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm more pessimistic on that. I know. I <laughs> this is why we balance each other out, I think. <laughs> and I'm really not Susie Sunshine. I mean, you can't work in fraud for almost 15 years and be Susie Sunshine, but I do that's try true. to I do try to like assume the best of people on this side of the fence, but sometimes I, I'm wrong about that. I'm like, aren't we the good guys here? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of right, tagged on resolution. yours. Yeah, I tagged on yours because I think it was right in line with it. Absolutely. This isn't going to be surprising to anyone that knows me very well, but dig into your chargebacks. I'm going to do a whole episode on chargebacks uh, in the next couple of weeks because January historically is what I call chargeback month for companies that have high volume over the holidays. That's when you know people are starting to get their bill and they're committing family fraud or they notice that their card was stolen during that time. And so my whole thing, and I say this often when I'm in presentations about chargebacks or interviewed about it, chargebacks are really your check engine light for your business. So they're telling you that something's wrong. And if you're not looking at it, you're missing those signs. So they may not say anything about fraud. I mean, it could be you haven't exactly described your business or the recurring nature or whatever it is about your business to your customer and they don't understand what they signed up for. Or you're not describing your products correctly, like physical goods products or your return policy or whatever it is. I love chargebacks because they can tell you what's going on in your business. I mean, I'm doing a analysis now for a pretty big retailer and we're finding all kinds of things that they didn't know. And their chargeback rate's pretty low already, but they wanted to make it lower. And we're finding all kinds of stuff that like they didn't even realize without digging into the details that some patterns that were happening. And so that's really something that you can do. Dive into your chargeback details, start at the reason codes, and then start doing pivot tables and looking at different patterns that they have. And I definitely have a lot of historical knowledge of like, oh, I've seen this before. I know exactly what this means or that means, or this is what, this is how we transfer it into process changes. So maybe you have a high number of product not received or not as described, but then diving in and going, well, what product, what are they seeing? What's happening? I definitely have that knowledge, but you can do it yourself as well. And so looking at that to really create a roadmap for the rest of the year of what to work on can just be extremely valuable to your business. And I'm saying this with a ton of wins behind my belt. So it's not that I'm just saying this is like theology. It works. But I think a lot of times what happens, and this happens in life in general, if we don't understand something, and let's be honest, the chargeback process and the rules are super confusing and don't always seem fair. A lot of people just kind of put their head in the sand and want to move on. But you can be the hero in your company if you really look at this and work to reduce the chargebacks from coming in and then also responding to them the correct way. So that's my rant, but I just cannot express enough how valuable chargeback data is. 
um, and just how important it is to dive into those details for fraud. You know what? That's a good rant. <laughs> That's a really good rant. I like Hopefully it. It was a beneficial rant. <laughs> okay. But, so, so yeah. here's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing on security training, focus on safety training. Okay. And what I mean by that is ins- just change the language. So in- instead of security training for the company, how about just focus the training on the employee, making sure the employee stays safe online or safe in the environment that that employee is in. So if you if you can train the employee to, to be safe when it comes to looking at emails or reading emails, because all breaches, 92% of them, every single breach begins with a phishing attack. So you train the employee to, to be safe around emails. Instead of being secure, be safe. Just change the word structure. Because every time we hear security training, we hear this, it's almost like this collective, oh God, more of that. So change the wording, change the wording and the way we do it. Instead of training the company overall to be secure, train the employees to be safe in their job description, in their, in their everyday life. And that will translate into a better security overall. Hmm. That's basically like a mindset shift. Right. It's just changing the mindset altogether. Which okay? I think because we, we're tired of security. Right. <laughs> well, maybe it's similar to chargebacks, right? Our eyes glaze right. over and we're like, oh, it's such a mountain. We might as well just like put our head in the sand. We're not. Yeah, ever because we, we know we've been beaten on security. Right. Yep. We know that. Yep. You know, if, when, when we try to, to do security training for an entire company, things go south quickly because it always fails. Those employees are always clicking on those phishing emails for you know, whatever the phishing email says, an extra couple of days vacation or employees salaries or whatever, they click on it. But instead of instead of focusing on that, if we can focus on just teaching the employee how to be safe in their everyday life when it comes to the online environment, when it comes to phone work, anything else like that, if we can teach the employee and not all the employee, but management and everyone else about that, then that should translate into the job itself and make everything more secure at that point. Uh, now that doesn't mean to give up security security awareness training, but it does mean to add in the safety factor as well. So, in the spirit of New Year's resolutions, I think that this is similar to thinking of it as a diet and thinking of it as a lifestyle change. Right there, you go. There so, you go. security is the diet, the D word, and then you know, thinking of safety and just overall best practices of just being a little more skeptical, a little bit more hesitant before clicking on a link before, you know, anything. And I think to your point too, you're saying not just at work, but in everyday life, you know, the FTC put out a warning to people this week about a Netflix email that's going around phishing and they wouldn't do that if it didn't work a lot. That's exactly right. (laughs) There's an email going around saying, you know, update your payment method, click here. And people are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose, don't want to lose Netflix. Right. And so they're clicking on that and then getting their payment information compromised. That's an example of security versus thinking if you were to train them safety, huh, maybe I shouldn't click on a link in an email ever. Instead, I should go out to Netflix on my browser and log in that way. Is that kind of the difference If you you? can teach a person that, right? So so the person has, and it's it's almost like it's a lot of employees compartmentalize things. So they go home and they have a different sense altogether about their own safety, their own security online. But when they go to work, it changes all of a sudden. So if, if we can make that. Sometimes so it bleeds into each other, right? right. Where, okay. I'm not so safe at home, so I'm not going to be so safe at work or whatever else. But also we've seen this year, at least one case of 
somebody in fraud prevention being targeted at home in their personal Absolutely. life on their personal phone Absolutely. and and everything else. So it doesn't always it's not always compartmentalized. So that's good good advice. So right. my next one is working on cross-functional relationships within your company. Don't just focus on what they can do for you, but what you can do for them. And that's so cheesy. I just, <laughs> you know what? I wrote that out, out when we were driving back home from uh, visiting family for the holidays. And I didn't even realize that I was <laughs> quoting, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for you. <laughs> oh, what a cheese ball I am. Um, that little JFK moment going realize, on there. Seriously, I didn't realize that until I was reading that out. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with other departments. Like you can gain, you know, information from them and buy in and they can give you a heads up on new business models, maybe bring you in product offerings, marketing campaigns, whatever they're going to impact fraud and chargebacks. They also can freeze you out if you're the negative Nancy in the room. And so finding that balance, but also offer to them what you can helpful. So maybe you know, going to marketing saying, hey, I'm seeing an interesting trend on our fraud tools that might be related to a marketing campaign. Do you want to take a look? Or maybe if you haven't seen that, but say, hey, we have a lot of business intelligence information from our fraud providers. Would any of this be helpful for marketing? Or just as simple as hosting a couple brown bag lunches and having a couple slides that just explain what fraud is, the impact it has to your company, and what your team does. Because I think that there's just a lot of ambiguity around the fraud team. And People just think that like they're, you know, the chief sales cancellation officer or, you know, sales prevention officer was my title. I even had business cards made out. I didn't make them. I like chief titles. I'm not going to lie. I like oh, titles. He didn't like that title. <laughs> oh, it was out of meanness. It wasn't out of fun. But once I explained to him like, hey, I'm not just canceling orders for the hell of it. I'm not trying to mess with your own metrics and KPIs. I'm trying to save the company and here's what it looks like. And here's, you know, what it, then there was a better working relationship and I think, you know, just explaining that better and saying like, look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Also knowing what the other departments care about. So knowing that marketing cares about conversion rates, maybe there's some synergy there. I know payments has a lot of focus on conversion as well. Having them know that like you've got this and you understand that the good customers are the ones that pay your paycheck. And, you know, once they have faith in you, they're going to ask for your opinion. Once they feel like you are the subject matter expert, but you kind of have to start with how can I help you? There because you go. I like I just it. see so many people going in and being like, you need to listen to me because I say so. And I used to be that person. So it's not like I'm preaching and not with experience, but I just found I got a lot better when I understood, okay, so this is what marketing's measured on. This is what they care about. This is what, you know, development cares about. This is what security cares about. Like all the different departments, business intelligence, whatever it is, it just can really help the rest of your year when everybody understands what you're doing and appreciates it and wants to get your buy-in. I like it. And, and that kind of fits in with my next one which is team building. And I'll tell you what, what happened to me. I spoke at Quantico and I was fortunate enough. I met one of the, uh, the former CISOs from uh, Equifax. <laughs> and he, uh, he pointed out that during the Equifax breach before that, that the entire company was compartmentalized, that no one communicated with any other part of the company at all about any of the problems, the, the stuff they were seeing, anything else like that. Even after that breach, they still compartmentalized everything. They didn't share any information about the breach whatsoever. They didn't ask for any outside help from any, any of the other departments in the, in the company. And what he said, he said that looking back, that he wished that they would have built a team of all those departments because there were certainly areas of that breach 
that those other departments could have helped. And they were unable to get that, that assistance from inside of the company. What I say is that every single company, every, every single department in the company, from marketing to development, uh, management, everything else, not just fraud, but every single department in a company has an insight into fraud or right. into security. And it's important to get that, that advice, that insight that other people have. Because what happens is, is if, if you're just relying, say, on the fraud, fraud analysts there, they have one specific viewpoint, but sometimes that outside view, that that outside opinion, will open up an entire new area of discussion. Oh and it's yeah, important. Well, and actually, so when you were speaking at CNP, and probably right when you were buying somebody else's social, one of the audience members' social security number without asking, Chris. Not that I'm bitter. Um, thank God you got his permission. I was in the next room with facilitating a conversation with a very large quick service restaurant. They, I can't say their name because even though they were on the agenda, because it took a lot for me to get the approval from their publicity company to be able to, you know, <laughs> PR department to be able to even interview them on stage. But the reason I did is because I had worked with them before and I knew that they had created what they called a fraud task force. So they saw a really huge bump in fraud about a year and a half ago. And they got representatives from a lot of different departments. So finance, and actually I've worked with two quick service, very large quick service restaurants that have now done this. They call it different things, but finance, IT, security, fraud, obviously, customer service, all the different departments. I'm probably missing a couple because it's been six months since we had this conversation, but they got them all in and they had bi-weekly, I think it was like once a week meetings at first. And then now it's bi-monthly, so twice a month. And really, it was amazing how much buy-in. Oh, like we, you know, the customer service would be like, oh, we're getting these phone calls. Is that related to what you're talking about? Oh, okay. Once you got them all on the same page, it was amazing the progress they made. And they've really hit a gotten a huge dent in their fraud rates because of that. And just having that like extra buy-in from different departments, because you're right, everybody has a different insight and perspective on it. It's not just side in fraud. And I think that's a really good example, especially from Equifax, <laughs> looking back and going, hmm, what, you know, what led to the one of the biggest breaches in American history that we're going to be seeing the fallout for for a very, very long time. I think getting them together and that does work hand in hand. I think the first step is to build relationships with those teams. Absolutely. And then everybody likes to help, right? So maybe that's the angle like, hey, we'd love to have you join because we know that you know a lot about you know, your department and how it works. And, and let's talk about how they all work together. And, and once you have their buy-in and once they're helping you, as long as they're not, you know, like, oh my gosh, one more meeting, you can make a lot of progress. It's, it's made a significant impact on this company's fraud rates and the companies that I know that have done similar, it's really helped them as well. So very good. Well, Good point. Just, just look at one of the examples. How many times have, have you and I seen companies where the fraud department simply doesn't communicate whatsoever with the call center people? <laughs> um, and that, that's one of the reasons that we, or... <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that we see that call center fraud has exploded this year. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I actually talk about that quite a bit in like presentations and stuff recently because call center front, and even when you and I did the webinar for SIF Science way back at the beginning of December, it feels like it was forever yeah. ago. Um, or no, <laughs> it was middle of November. But when we did that, we talked about call center fraud because it has been getting big and you're right. But some of the challenges are that call center is across the across the world or, right. you know, in other places, but you can still work with them. And there's usually at least one person in the corporate office that represents customer support and service. That's right. a very good point. One of the All reasons right, so. why it's so high is because they're not talking to each other. They don't, customer Absolutely. service doesn't know what to look for because fraud hasn't, hasn't told them or fraud doesn't know that customer service is having this issue because they don't talk. You're absolutely right. That's it. So next one for you. All right. Pay attention to, I think I have two more. So pay attention to your payments. I mentioned this on my solo podcast because I have such a passion for it and not just because I'm working with an incredible fintech company right now that is going to really help payments departments um, all over the place. It's not that the reason why is because I think that so many companies are, they just forget about payments and they're losing so much money. It's insane. So one of the first companies I worked with, and I, I can say it's on my website and stuff, but was Shutterfly when I started consulting. And I, just by diving into their, just what they were paying their processor, I was able to save them several million dollars a year on their current contract with their current processor, all because I knew like what was fair market value and they had much higher volume than they had at the beginning. And I think a lot of companies think that there's a standard rate for payments that they're paying, um, just like with a mortgage or anything else financial, but no, it's unregulated. There are some companies paying a heck of a lot more than others, but there's other areas of payments too that are just as important. Like looking at your authorization rates. So for a card present transaction, there's really only one of three reasons why it would decline. Like the card is canceled, it's expired, or it's over its limit. Online, there's a multitude of reasons. And there's probably thousands of transactions that get canceled on your website every month that you don't know anything about. And those are customers. You're not just losing them for that one sale. They may not come back. They might go to your competitor. And I can tell you that the biggest companies in the world that I've worked with many of them because I helped facilitate the payments committee in my former life for a former provider, companies like Amazon and Netflix and Apple and Walmart and all those guys, they have a robust payments department. They have people that are just looking at the relationships and partners with their processors and the fees and the performance and all that. They have others that are diving into the authorizations. And huh, so if we send AVS information or if we send CVV information, are we going to see an increase? Or if we have, if we accept a lot of business cards, should we be capturing level two and level three data for more acceptance rates and lower processing. There's so many different things you can do there. And I just think it's a huge win and opportunity for your company. If you're focused on fraud, focus on payments too. Like take a little bit of time to dive into it. There's a lot of opportunity in payments right now, but there's not enough in my opinion. I think I truly believe that every company that has online payments should be having a payments department. That is the lifeblood of your company. And yet another Carice rant, but you know, consider <laughs> RFPing your payment processors. I kind of said that already, but you know, looking at fees, looking at the authorization rates, looking into the performance of new payment methods, depending on your the type of customer you have. Maybe you want to add a wallet like an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, or does it really make sense for your customers? Like all those things. And then don't even get me started on all the things you can do with cross-border payments. If you process internationally, if you don't have somebody in charge of payments 
oh my gosh, it's just insane because we're one of the only companies or countries that uh, relies on credit cards so heavy. You go to Brazil and it's all installment payments on Cielo or Boleto. Not always like sometimes if you're presenting in USD, but you're settling in theirs or vice versa, actually, you're going to have lower acceptance rates than if you did it another way and blah, blah, blah. So there's just so much there, but I think it's great for career development. It's great for like having a huge win to report to your company. If you could just look at the fees and save your company a couple million dollars a year, I can guarantee you that's going to help your career. So that's a career like rant. You, you, are, you are banging away at the rants today. <laughs> <laughs> These are all things that I believe in quite a bit. And I say them often uh, when I'm when I have the opportunity because I have such a huge probably unnaturally huge passion for this industry and where I hope to see it. And so that is, these rants are not new. <laughs> I like it. I got to say, I like it. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish that I could have new rants, but I'm going to continue to say these until I see big changes in the industry. <laughs> well, there we go. And, and I'm not ranting so much today. So, so the next thing for me, I it know, kind of feeds I'm in. Kind of, we've kind of treated places, haven't we? <laughs> It's true. It's true. (laughs) After I got that kill the vendors remark out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You, that's on you, buddy. (laughs) Not owning that. By the way, don't forget who brings you out to conferences and pays you a lot of money these days. And I like them a great deal. (laughs) (laughs) But I have told, I have told, uh, I told one that uh, I didn't end up speaking for, but I told one that, uh, Hey, I'm not going to get up there and lie about your product. (laughs) <laughs> I don't even have to ask why you didn't end up speaking to him. <laughs> so, I mean, that remark was given. So well, I, I do I, think I, it's great that you're genuine, it. right? And <laughs> and I, you never bash a product. You just wouldn't, you know, on stage. Yeah, I'm not going to lie about it. Wouldn't necessarily <laughs> over flatter them. Right, um, right. I think that your job as a speaker is to come and give information. It's not to hawk products. Um, that's, though true. that's true. We know as speakers that sometimes that's not always the same expectation. <laughs> expectation is not always, you know, the same. Right. But it's right. good to get, you know, to understand that and figure out if that's something that you can do or not. So, so the next resolution for me, and it's something that, that the FBI brought me in to speak for at, at a couple of uh, different events that a couple of vendors have asked me to really hit as well is communicate just communicate, share information where you can, where the law or privacy concerns allow you to share information, share that information. The, the problem is, is that we, as, uh, as, as the good guys, which I, I guess I'm on that side these days. You are now. <laughs> welcome. welcome. As the good guys. The, we don't, but we don't share Welcome to the dark side. We have cookies. Well, you know, exactly. we're, we're the light side. We have cookies too. We got cookies. Sometimes they get shipped to our house, but we already addressed that on another episode. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we're not very good about sharing information. Too many companies have the philosophy of, you know, we'd like to stop fraud, but at the end of the day, as long as we stop fraud at our company, that's what's important. Well, you know, that's, that's a nice attitude to have, I guess. But the problem is, is that when that fraud does hit your company, all those other companies you've not shared whatever you could share with, they don't really care. And it, it, we have to combat fraud as a whole, not as a company by company basis. So well, I wouldn't care? say that it's that they don't care. It's that they don't know, right? Like if you don't have a relationship with them, if you're not sharing, right. then the then your network isn't there to help you when you need but it. But I, I mean, I have I have literally been told by a an, a a huge company 
that, hey, you know, it'd be nice if we stopped fraud overall. But at the end of the day, I'm worried about my company, not anyone else. And there are a few of them, especially some of the biggest ones who believe that risk is a competitive advantage. I've run into that several times because you know that this is a huge passion thing for me too. And they see risk as a competitive advantage and they don't want to share and they don't attend conferences and they don't go to networking events. I actually think that the loss is on them more. It is on other companies. And I think that's what you're saying too. Oh, it is. Because what happens is, is that that huge company that has that, or that small company that has that idea like that, when they are hit, they're hit big. Yeah. I mean, they're going to get hit in a big way. (laughs) And we see that time and time again. So, So where the law or privacy concerns allow it, Please share information. Please share information. It's this is team building again. Mm-hmm. Get insights, ideas, opinions, and knowledge from everyone within your group as well. It's it's just talk. I've got a I've got a fourteen year old stepson who doesn't communicate whatsoever, and I get so frustrated. <laughs> I got frustrated enough. I took a hammer to his. I was phone. just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> you got so mad that he didn't tell you the truth that you smashed his phone. <laughs> just, just got a hammer out right in front of him. Wham! Handed the phone back, smashed. There's your phone. <laughs> no, we should just say that he. it was warranted. It was. It was <laughs> we, we warranted. Won't, we won't out the poor kid, but uh, he was, there was using much it talk. for, yeah, for, bad, for not so great purposes. And so sometimes with parenting, tough love is the only thing that works. So I smashed it and I didn't get mad. I handed him phone, his phone back and I was like, look, I said, if you'll just learn to communicate with me and tell me what I need to do as well so you can communicate with me. I said, I'll go out and get you in a few months. You know, if, if everything's working out all right, I'll get you a new phone. But until that point, you know, home phone for you and maybe I'll get you a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and to them, it's like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have games. Exactly. Ugh. So, so we're adults. We're adults in this business yep. and we don't communicate. It's mm-hmm. important to talk to each other, to share information, knowledge. You don't have to share uh, specifics about yeah. your company that the law doesn't require. Well, and you don't even have to share like PII information at all no. because that changes email addresses and addresses right. and names and even metrics. I don't need them. Like I, I go through this speech all the time when I'm, because currently I'm working on finalizing the agenda for CMP Expo. And there are some companies that are hesitant to speak. And I'm like, all I want is best practices. All I want is for you generalized, you know, what are you seeing and what are you doing about it? And this is something I've dedicated the last seven years of my career to is getting merchants together. Is it perfect? No. Do I have, you know, bigger, higher goals of doing it more in either 2019 or 2020? Absolutely, I do. There's a lot of barriers there. But the best ways to do that are honestly through conferences and getting your network together and talking. And that's why I've created these fireside chats at CMP Expo, because we get the verticals together, right? So we get the gaming companies together, we get the ticketing companies and the travel companies together and the retailers together, all at one point, and just say, what do you want to ask each other? And not only do you have the benefit of that conversation, but you now have names and faces of other people that are in very similar industries as you. And I know a lot of them talk throughout the year and, you know, pick up the phone and say, hey, we're seeing something weird. Are you seeing that too? I have introduced some of the biggest companies in the world to each other and they talk regularly. And that's super important to me. Is it perfect? And does it include everyone? No. And we don't want perfect to be the enemy of the good, as they say in corporate America, right? Going the extra effort to do that is so powerful. And I sound passionate because I am because I've seen it work. And it's honestly like magic. I'm actually hosting a merchant meetup in San Francisco 
on January 30th at the Yelp office. It's for merchants only and there will be a sign up sheet. I'm sure I'll post it on my LinkedIn a couple times in the next week, but that's another opportunity to meet people regionally. And I'm actually working with another organization to have even more regional events towards the end of 2019 in a few big metropolitan areas because I care about this so much. I think in person is the best because you don't have anything in writing. <laughs> people are a lot more more open and honest in person, but I also know of at least one vertical that has a Slack channel. I organized a group of gaming companies together, the biggest ones in the world several years ago. And when I left that organization, they didn't feel as supported. And so they created their own Slack channel. So they still do that, but they also have met each other in person and they trust each other and all of that. It's not just like, oh, you can join. Anyone can join. That's not the case. I think that meeting people in person is the best way in this industry to gain trust. And you really do I've heard some of the some people from some of the biggest companies in the world share actual like metrics in closed door merchant only <laughs> events. I honestly couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, but people feel better. So that actually really translates into my last 2019 intention slash resolution is to network. It's crazy how we we honestly didn't really <laughs> share our list with each other. We we're just like, yeah, we'll wing it. I'm kind of still in vacation mode, but have a lot of consulting work to still do, even though it's a weekend. And so I'm like, I'm not doing an outline, but mine was network, speak at conferences, attend conferences, grow your career and your network. So in addition to all of the things that we just said about how important it is to share information with each other, and it really is kind of like a barter system. If you share, then other people will share. And um, you'll also, that will help then grow your network, right? People will know, oh, wow, if I call Carice and ask her a question, she'll actually give me a real answer. She'll want to help me. And that then, you know, you get a reputation of that. Speaking at a conference is huge for career development, but it's also part of that sharing information. There's multiple different ways to share information at conferences, you know, on stage or in these in-person, you know, merchant-only meetings or whatever it is. But really, because that's what really impacted my career, if I didn't speak about chargebacks in 2010, I wouldn't have worked at Expedia. I wouldn't have been asked to be the program manager of the Americas for the largest trade association for fraud. I then wouldn't have been attractive in the professional sense to CMP, knowing that I had a big network and also knowing that I have a passion for education for the content. So all of those things stemmed from me speaking at a conference. So if I sound like a broken record, it's because that's what worked for me. But I've seen it work for so many other people too, you know, as merchants and even, you know, not as mer merchants, but merchants want to hear from merchants and vendors want to hear from merchants. So that's always my number one priority, though I do believe that vendors have a 10,000 foot view and and really, some of them have really great information that are valuable. So I don't want to seem like I'm being too exclusive. Really, like resolve to do that. And if you're feeling like you want to and you can come to San Francisco at the end of May, send me a LinkedIn message. Email me. Like that's because now's the time because I'm filling up the agenda and we've got some really awesome companies speaking. We've got room. So, um, you know, panels or slide presentations, whatever you want to do. That's really not meant to be a plug, but that is a way that I can help you. There are definitely other conferences out there and I do not discriminate. I mean, there's Merchant Risk Council, there's Payments Ed Forum, which is great for payments. And if you want to learn more about payments, I highly recommend going to that in August in San Fran. Yeah, just get out and network and learn because you might really understand fraud in your company, but it's completely different for another company. And if you ever want to grow your career, that's also really good to understand how, what it looks like at other places too. So there's just so many layers of value there. 
we All right, like well, rant number well. three. <laughs> I, I like the rants. And you know what? Let's end it on that rant because that that was a really good one. <laughs> well, it came from the heart. And honestly, you and I are both very, there's some synergy there, right? Like there's a reason why a lot of the things that we shared were very similar. It's because right. we have really great observations of this industry from like a 5,000 or 10,000 foot view as we meet people either individually or in groups or speak at events. And so they're coming from a good place and from pretty educated place, I would say. So I would hope that some of these, you know, maybe not all of them, because that's a lot of resolutions to have. But I hope that some of these are, are super helpful to at least get the ball rolling and think, how can I apply some of this to my career, my position now, whatever it is. You know what? I'm, uh, I was sitting here and it just hit me. I'm going to have a t-shirt made for you. <laughs> Uh-oh. What's it going to say? Yes. So it's, it's going to have that, because uh, okay. I really like that little superhero motto that I mentioned earlier. So it's going to, it's going to say, Therese Hendrick gets shit done. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't feel like that's true right now. Cause I have like two things outstanding for clients that I was hoping to get done sooner than I did. Thankfully, like, you know, they're not mad. It's just more like, I always assume I can get more done than I can, but I'm very glad that's what you think. <laughs> that well, just, I would wear it that every other there. day because I have a t-shirt that says virtual crime fighter on it. Oh, I like that. However, Leaf doesn't like it when I wear it in public. <laughs> Apparently it's super dirty. <laughs> I, like I have it. always said that I think that people in fraud should strive to be the superhero in their company. I think that we all have a superhero complex. I've always wanted to have a party at a conference where everybody gets a superhero, like a cape. Unfortunately, the people that are in charge of budgets always shut it down every year. If anyone wants to sponsor that, however, this year, you give me a call. Well, I mean, I, I was the villain at one point. There, right? There's a role for them. <laughs> it's not a good role. <laughs> now, if you're if you're there, then everyone gets a superhero cape except for Brett. And then we have to... <laughs> no, like I said, you are now on this side officially as far yeah, as yeah, I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> you are Brett Johnson, a cybercrime expert with... A past of being on the other side, which makes it very valuable. So, so that's how that's how the business card needs to read right there, right? Brett Johnson, cybercrime expert. Dot 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 with a past. <laughs> with a dark past. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, wow. that's it for episode yeah, today. I think I think that's a good place to end. Cut me off while I'm rambling. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us. We hope you've learned a lot. We've got so many more of these topics to cover, so please, it's all to help protect yourself and your company, so please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And you know we want to hear from you guys. We love it. It's like the highlight of my day. Let us know what you love so far about the podcast, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. A lot of the topics that we do discuss do come from you guys. You can find us on Facebook, on our website, onlinefrogcast.com, or find us individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thank you.